The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond, and hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show, covering all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation, and probably possibly doing some bad uh, references to comedians of the early 2000s. We'll see if I can resist doing it throughout the show. Uh, I'm joined this week by Mitchell Saltzman. Beyond! Uh, so close, I was really hoping for it. We're also joined this week by Matt Kim. Beyond, I'm not going to Beyond. Do it. Beyond to you both. Uh, for for those wondering if if Red, our producer, if you did uh, record our our pre show antics, let me know and I'll post some of that to Twitter and people can check that out there uh, for an embarrassing look at my life. But before you get there, we do have a full episode of Beyond uh, for you. We we've got a little bit of news to cover, uh, some impressions of some upcoming games that some of us on the panel have played, along with uh, some reviews of recently released games, uh, plus an interview coming up later with another recently released PlayStation game. Uh, but first. Before we get to uh, our big, very, very uh, serious topic, I think you all can agree uh, that we're going to dig into and it's going to probably get pretty, pretty dark and heated. Uh, let's just do a quick little bit of, of a news recap before we get there. Uh, and a couple of things I want to mention. I'm actually going to go in reverse order of what I put in the run of show. So sorry to throw you all off like this. Whoa, uh, but whoa, just quickly, to me, I'm quickly mentioning it. <laughs> we're doing it. Uh, anyway, right. today, today as we're posting, uh, it, it seems apropos to do this first. Uh, it is the fifth anniversary of PlayStation VR, which I can't believe it's only been five years because that lines up with my tenure at IGN. And that seems like it, it was much longer. Um, but anyway, uh, this is the fifth anniversary of PSVR. PlayStation revealed some of the biggest uh, PSVR, the most played PSVR games. Uh, and some of them are unsurprising usual suspects. Um, the most played games include uh, Rec Room, Beat Saber, PlayStation VR Worlds, Skyrim VR, and RE7 Biohazard. Uh, this is globally, so so not any specific territory. Um, and I did want to also just briefly mention that going forward, starting in November, PlayStation Plus members will get three P PSVR bonus games for no extra tar charge. Uh, those details will be coming in the next few weeks of what those games are. Uh, that wording there makes me think it's going to be a recurring thing, which is very exciting to me because I have shouted on the show for close to two years now that when they reduced the PS Plus lineup from six to two games, they should have just put PSVR games in there as well. Uh, but just to, to lightly touch on it, uh, Mitchell, what, have you like, what is your history with PSVR? Did you, did you play it much? Did you kind of bounce off it? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> yes, yes to both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, PSVR was really my first exposure to VR. I think that's probably true for for a lot of people out there. Um, and yeah, it, it, it <laughs> it's funny, like five years of PSVR, it feels like five years of living in the future of video games. <laughs> Just like in terms of like the first time you you put on VR and you start playing a game like Resident Evil 7, you really think like, wow, this like could really, this has, this might have legs. This is something that really does add to the immersion. Um, and it's just, it, it just, it adds another layer to the, to the, how scary that game is. Um, of course that didn't really end up happening. Um, but yeah, I, I really like, uh, I like the time that I spent with PlayStation VR, uh, you know, playing Beat Saber, playing Resident Evil 7. Um, that said, it's probably one of my biggest regrets in terms of money spent versus what I got out of it. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I I did have a lot of fun with the games that I ended up you know checking out on PlayStation yeah. VR. Do you mean in terms of kind of like you, you spent some really good time with it, but then it kind of just I also spent a lot of really good money on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, very much understand. Matt, what about you? Did you did you ever own PSVR or? Yeah, I got I got a PSVR for Black Friday a couple years ago, right before they released the like slight model revision with the better cable management. Perfect timing. Um, so, you know, I got the one with the worst cable management. And really, honestly, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, I liked it. I played super hot. I thought Resident Evil 7 VR played great. It was one of the only, like, full motion VR games that didn't make me sick. Like, I was just, you know, walking around and without having to teleport. And I didn't, like, I played through the entire thing and I didn't, like, feel nauseous once, which I thought was amazing. Uh, I hear you on the money thing. That was a weird, like, money sink because I had to... I had the hardest time tracking down the move controllers. Mm -hmm. Remember, That's right? And uh, yeah, and I was like, "Why does this? Why is it so hard to find one of these? Like the two of these controllers that I kind of need to play like super hot and Beat Saber, uh, and they're <laughs> on eBay for like way more than you would expect." I don't know. I was a little, I was sticker shock, I guess. But like, I saved money because of Black Friday, so maybe I just paid regular price for it. But uh, yeah, I I don't think we're fully in that like time now where like vr is just a normal regular consumer product right like because of facebook and like apple is also reportedly making a, a vr headset so like we're definitely there but the big difference is those are all wireless headsets and i kind of feel like that's now a mandatory thing for yeah. future like vr headsets yeah and that was really like the big thing with playstation vr it, it was the, the the cable management and the fact that once i was done playing you know, I would put it away because if it just if it's just hanging out there, it's going to collect us. And it's it's just a massive amount of wires that you don't want showing in your in your living space or your, you know, whatever you, you have your PlayStation hook, hooked up to. And then when it comes to bringing it back out, when you want to play it again, it's just such a pain in the ass to, to set up. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely there w with you. I really, really loved my time with PSVR over the years. I think especially there was like this. We, we've talked before on the show uh, of it had this weird like roller coaster of a life where there would be a lot of really cool releases for like six months and then dead time for like a yeah. year and then a lot of really cool releases and then dead time. And there was this like amazing sweet spot in 2018 where it was like you were getting Beat Saber and Astrobot and Tetris Effect and then you had the whole back 
catalog of the last two years if you were just picking up PSVR. So we were always like telling people that was a great time for it. And I played it like crazy then. And then I put it away for a year and didn't really play it. I brought it out at the beginning of the pandemic for a little bit because like Beat Saber was the way I would work out. And then Mm -hmm. we put it away and I haven't unpacked it. And honestly, yeah, like you're both kind of right. It's just the thought of dealing with all of that. (laughs) Like it's just so much to have to get properly in place that is not conducive to my current TV setup. Um, Yeah. So it's a little bit hindered by that, by the PS Move controllers. uh, As you were saying, you know, it's the five-year anniversary of PSVR. Those controllers are two generations, three generations old now by this point. So it's um, a, a little silly that we're still looking for those controllers. So I'm really excited to see whatever PSVR 2 is. And I, I think they promised that as like a single cord sort of situation. Uh, hopefully, you know, much more advanced tech, more living up to recent PSVR headsets. But yeah, PSVR has had this weird history where I really, really love it, but I wish they had iterated on a little bit more sooner. So I'm excited to see what comes next. Sure. I just wanted to do a quick shout out to uh, one of the best PSVR games of all time, Tetris Effect. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. And it's it really it's like genuinely transcendent in VR. Yep. Like it's amazing. Yeah, that was I, I I was really glad I wasn't reviewing Tetris Effect because I think I would have had to fight with Dan Stapleton of like, no, the reason I want to give Tetris Effect a 10 is because of this religious experience. <laughs> and it'd be like, but how does that translate to like a review? And I'm like, I, it made me feel like I saw God. I don't know what you want from me. Um, I, like, yeah, I'm with you. I, I love <clears throat> it is such a perfect experience in VR. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a I great Tetris lo- game. I would have loved to have seen like the text logs of that conversation you had with Dan. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's God. It is my God. Um, But yeah, Tetris effect. um, Absolutely love it. Can't recommend it enough. Obviously you can play it outside of VR and it's still just one of the best versions of Tetris ever. Uh, And there's, there's now the multiplayer in there and everything. But like, if you were to go pick up PSVR right now, you do have five years of really cool stuff to pick up. Uh, so if you find it on on a, a special, I'd recommend going to get it only if you can get a bundle with move controllers As mm. to Matt's point. Like if you if you're getting a bundle without move controllers, you're causing more pain for yourself. <laughs> um, so try, try to find those. But in the long run, uh, very excited to see what happens with PSVR, because obviously it's it's here to say. So we'll see what happens. Uh, moving along from there, just a couple other bits of news to briefly touch on. This was a weird one that popped up uh, a day or two ago. Uh, Matt, I know there was some talk on Slack uh, when it popped up, but like the PlayStation was hiring for a mobile sort of executive position a few months back. And then in the last week or so, everyone realized they kind of had hired someone back in July, <laughs> um, uh, which was a oh, weird yeah. one. Yeah, uh, 100%. They, and this was not like... Um... I mean, this was based on uh, on a job listing, but it sounded pretty substantial that uh, PlayStation has actual aspirations for mobile going forward or in the near future. Uh, the job description talked about translating, you know, their various award-winning IPs to to mobile and and making them into you know quality experiences, right? And so while I can't speak to exactly what they have in store, it does sound like mobile is going to be. Uh, Maybe not a pillar, but definitely something that they're reinvesting in vigorously going forward. And yeah, they hired uh, Apple Arcade executive for that, which is, um, I mean, I'm not a, a mobile business expert. I, like that's not really a, a beat that I cover too much, but that would that's an interesting choice, right? Because Apple Arcade actually doesn't really make games, right? Apple Arcade yeah. is a is a subscription service where they they work with developers and and 
offer their games to iPhone and iPad users. So uh, it's this weird thing where they're like, we want to build uh, mobile first experiences using using you know whatever Uncharted. Uh, you know, Forbidden West, stuff like that. Uh, but they also hire a, a person who was in charge of uh, a sort of different kind of business. So I'm interested to see how that would work. Yeah, Apple Arcade was much more of a and and I still subscribe to it. And there's been a lot of really great games on it. But it is it is very much, as he said, a like acquisition of a subscription service. It is not an internally made thing. So it'll be curious to see if they start partnering with other uh mobile devs if they start to do some some internal teams but yeah nicola uh sebastiani probably i'm butchering that uh the former uh apple arcade exec uh has joined and apparently has been there since july um so this is seemingly something that uh we could see i think probably the the fruits of that labor as early as like early next year um i totally get where they're coming from there is obviously tons of money to be made when it comes to mobile games and only continues to be um but i'm i'm very curious to see what their approach is because i think you know we saw nintendo's approach uh have some interesting results with things like super mario run and then also a lot of confusing choices um mitchell what do you think about the idea of, of playstation getting into the mobile space uh i think it's probably a good idea it mobile games still haven't really you know penetrated my own gaming tastes as of yet i'm I'm getting closer i like i go into the app store i look at a game that that looks like it could be interesting but then i you know ultimately just put my phone i throw my phone away because i'm like no i'm not getting sucked in to this uh to this world but uh yeah it's really gonna take a I don't even know what it would take because I feel like the mobile <laughs> landscape is so different than what I'm I'm interested in with with, with regards to video games because yeah. it is really about uh you know trying to to keep you tied to to the game and you know they they all they almost always have some sort of you know currency thing going on where like you have to you know do daily challenges in order to get you know get currency to unlock something it's not it's just not what i'm really into when it comes to mobile games so it it would really take something that that brings the con like the console experience sort of to to the phone in an interesting way that you know i can't just get on on nintendo switch or you know a a traditional handheld i don't know what that looks like but uh (laughs) that's what it would take for me it's going to be interesting to see what their approach is because i do think at at the end of the day to survive in that space you need those games that are the bite-sized daily check-in games that you play um for a few minutes here and there or spend a few dollars on here and there because you you want to get the power back that you need which obviously is not methods that people tend to enjoy for, for console players so i'm curious to see how this plans out in the long run i do think it is somewhat related and i'm curious to hear what either of you think uh jim ryan was talking last week about their goal of wanting to push past the idea that playstation games can just be played by like 10 to 20 million people they want to get toward that 100 million uh, 100 million number that uh you see big online multiplayer free-to-play stuff play Mm. and mobile games can be those games but they also can be a way to get people familiar with your ip who haven't spent $500 on a console and then, you know, extra money on all of your games. Like a free-to-play mobile Horizon game might get people who never knew Horizon was a thing to want to check out more Horizon, as much as hardcore Horizon fans may not want that mobile game. Um, 
but I'm curious to hear if, if either of you feel like that's a smart method. If you feel like, you know, we'll have to see it put into practice. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm oh, sorry. Go, go, no, you go ahead. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, I mean, you're right. Right. Like the, what most popular video game console in the world is a smartphone, uh, which, you know, I, and I think it's, I think, I think what it is, is um, over the years, my expectations of what I want from a game on mobile has changed significantly. You know, I think back in the, back in the early days when like the, the idea of a, of a smartphone was really new and exciting. Uh, the idea of just being able to have like a console quality experience on your phone and on the go was really cool. But I but like we have that now with, you know, like the switch and the upcoming steam deck. And so that's not really what I need from my phone anymore, especially because, you know, I use it a lot for work and for commuting. And I mean, not commuting anymore, but you know, back in the day for commuting. Uh, and now I kind of just want like a, like a two to three minute thing where I see a number go up, you know, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. just, uh, I you want cookie clicker. <laughs> yeah, I want cookie clicker, right? Like it's not, it's no longer, and like I can get a console experience mobile game elsewhere. I don't need it on my phone necessarily, uh, and so like you know that's the reason why Pokemon Go is so big, right? You go, you like open it up, you catch like one or two Pokemon, and then and then you move on. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see things like that for like, like a Nathan Drake. What is it? What's that? What's that name of the? What's the genre? The Auto Runner. Right? Oh yeah, they did mm-hmm. do that Nathan Drake. Right. No, there uh, wasn't a Nathan Drake mobile game a few years back, but I totally got like a Temple Run. Temple Run, yeah, kind of like mm-hmm. that, but uh something like that or uh, I don't know, like a Pokemon Go style Horizon Zero Dawn game where you capture mechanical machines. It all sounds doable and cool. I was just going to say bring back Ape Escape and you collect yeah. apes oh. out in the world. They've escaped into the real world and you have to go collect them. Miss Ape Escape. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, I'll take my money now, PlayStation. Uh, <laughs> Mitchell, any other thoughts before we uh, wrap up? Uh, yeah, I, I so to to back up on what I said earlier. You know, not I, I know not all mobile games are based around that. You know, kind of sure. attention grabbing thing of you know daily challenges, currencies, and all that stuff. Um, I think one of the best examples of a, like a, a console game series being adapted to the phone is really the the go series from from square enix like hitman go Lara yeah. Croft go um like stuff like that i think is is really really cool when you're able to take some of the elements of what makes these games so great on on a regular console and pare that down into like a, a almost like puzzle like experience that you know is unique but also still hits still checks those boxes of why you know people love hitman why people love laura croft um so i think i would like to see more stuff like that stuff like hitman go laura croft go where they're able to transform a console experience and make it fit into what people you know like about mobile games yeah find the the right distillation to bring them down you're totally right Right. i love those go games and was always bummed that we didn't get more of them they were they were so cool and clever and it would be cool to see playstation do something like that Mm -hmm. uh but of course whenever we hear about what playstation's mobile plans are we'll be talking about them on the show at some point in the future i assume we'll find out this episode of podcast beyond is brought to you by nordvpn a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. 
The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, let's hear them talk about it. Shows that are so bad they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing, I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, But I do want to move on because we do have some important business to get to today. And that is picking a fictional roster for a game that doesn't exist yet. Yes, that's right. We're talking about PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale 2. Oh my God, it's finally my time. It is your time (laughs) to shine, Mitchell. Uh, This is why I'm here. (laughs) For reference, I should clarify very quickly for anyone listening who maybe, you know, isn't glued to IGN.com like all of us have to be for our jobs every day. Uh, There is no officially announced PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale 2 as of the time I am recording this. It's fake. we're trying to trick me. Yeah, we're we're doing we're doing a fake story. Um, this is solely born out of one. Uh, Mitchell and I joke about this. I feel like every time you're on the show about wanting this game to exist, uh, and two, there's been sort of a a weird uh, moment in the uh, mascot platform brawler uh, space. I don't really know what subgenre you want to call it. Mitchell, you could probably tell me. But um, Platform fighter is, is generally, works. I think, what these are. Uh, mascot platform fighter, I think, works. So we got the final Super Smash Brothers Ultimate DLC character on the Nintendo side. Uh, that was, of course, Sora. 
uh, my beloved, uh, appearing in Smash Brothers. And then we also got released uh, Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl, uh, which is within the genre, but and of course brings a bunch of uh, Nickelodeon uh, famous characters from both like some of their more recent uh, cartoons and, and some more historical ones from like our real monsters and some other stuff from back in the day uh, is another entry in the space that Mitchell reviewed. And, and we'll get to some of your impressions a little bit later, but it's mm-hmm. been this sort of like moment for that subgenre of fighting games. And, and it's only made me think more and more of like, man, it had its flaws, but I really liked the potential for what PlayStation all-stars battle Royale could have been. Yeah. I mean, Here's the thing. When you're when you're making a, a platform fighter, obviously you're gonna get compared to Smash Brothers. And I think your the your chances of success really depend on how you're able to differentiate yourself from Smash Brothers while still offering that same experience. But that's a balance that you gotta hit. And I think PlayStation All-Stars went too far in trying to separate themselves from Smash Brothers in the way that they had a completely different like win condition. They they had this super super meter system where you'd build up a level one, a level two, a level three super. The level one super is typically hard to hard to hit with, but if you can hit with it, you get a you get a, a point for only one bar. Level two supers much more reliable. Level three supers will just destroy everyone on the on the playing field without you having to really do anything. So that was kind of like the what they were going for. But in reality it it ended up being such a different kind of experience than what people were used to in Smash Bros. Because you can only get a kill, really, if you hit, if you landed these supers. And it also placed a lot of emphasis on how good a character's level one super war, uh, supers were. If a character had a really bad level one super, you really didn't want to use them, at least in my opinion. Um, so there was a fundamental flaw, I think, in PlayStation, uh, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale in its, like, actual you know, core mechanic of the super system. So I think if this ever gets another chance, I think it needs to do away with the super system and be more like Smash Brothers, to be (laughs) honest. Um, And, you know, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl does that. It is a lot like Smash Brothers, but the way it it differs is in the actual movement and the, the mechanics of the actual game rather than, you know, the, the win condition, so to speak. And I think that's a much better, much better formula to follow that, again, I, I really hope if this gets another chance, and it should, because PlayStation, <laughs> a PlayStation Smash Brothers makes so much sense. It does. <laughs> and, well, and I think the, the reason that we, we have brought it up so much recently, and PlayStation, if you're listening, please just make this happen, is like more so than ever, I feel like PlayStation... Yeah, you know, maybe since the the days of the PS1 and PS2 when when mascots were more of a thing, like now feels like the time when PlayStation has such a recognizable stable of characters and and has kind of build themselves as that place for those characters. Like I I, I always hearken back to for the last couple of years, there have been these great sort of like art compilations of you know Aloy and Ellie and Jin and Spidey and Kratos and and you get this group that everyone feels like they love and know more so than you did necessarily at like the start of the PS4 era or even in the PS3 era when some of these characters were just coming up like Uncharted and Infamous and whatnot. Um, Obviously you have all the PS1 and PS2 characters to pull from but now feels like just such a good time to capitalize on that momentum of people coming to PlayStation for your characters. 
Um, and hopefully we'll have better cutscenes in in this new theoretical game than our reviews. More <laughs> cutscenes. Um, so I sort of wanted to go through and and kind of pick uh, a roster of, of who we think and, and why we think they should be in the game. I don't have like a set number in mind. Um, Mitchell, I defer to you, and, and Matt, let me know if you have any thoughts. I feel like we shouldn't go beyond maybe like a core like 16 or so fighters if we were you know trying to pick our our, our main roster to go with maybe we can do more but like as the initial yeah. starting group kind of keeping it a little short small so if we go by how many characters were in the starting roster of playstation all-stars battle royale one it would be yes. 24 24 okay yeah good to know um that's why i have you here uh let's how about this we all come up with 16 total and then I will pull from, I asked about this on Twitter, and I'll start to go through those and we can see who we would want to add to this roster. For uh, sure. I, I unfortunately don't have a good graphic of any kind to put up, so you'll all just have to imagine this. Oh, roster. you you, <laughs> you guys didn't, didn't like, I, um, prep. Oh, okay, well, I, I, I prepped it up here. I, so. Yeah, I tried. Uh, I tried making making okay. All-Stars 2. In, so, uh, oh, no. oh, damn. You guys there we see. go. So I got PlayStation All Stars. So here are the must-haves that are returning. We got Kratos, Nathan Drake. Oh wait, let's see this nope, side. Nope. Nathan Drake, Ratchet, Cat, uh-huh. uh, Sly, Jack. I, I can't see anymore. Uh, now, now that's Rappos, Cat Bailey, our, our coworker. Correct. What? That's Cat Bailey, our coworker. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Cat Bailey. Well, actually, I mean, you spoiled it. But on the other side, I have Jonathan Gorbush <gasps> as. As a character that you know would be really nice to have, mm-hmm. you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I think I feel like oh your one of your attacks could be like a, a in Street Fighter. Dan has like this super taunt where he, uh, you know, it, if you leave him alone and he gets through his whole taunt, he does like a really cool cool attack or something. So what I imagine for you, mm-hmm. you would go into your 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 uh, explaining of the Kingdom Hearts lore, and if, <laughs> if no one touches you for ten minutes. <laughs> then you just you know blow your the energy that you get from that from that explanation just explodes everyone and you instantly win. Literally, uh, my friend, an artist. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Please, please start, put me in. I mean, okay. I you know I'm not going to fight you. I'll be the I'll be in the <laughs> the, the roster. You've got this <laughs> PlayStation. We can just talk leave him alone. Ignore him. <laughs> Imagine that in a competitive field. It's like oh yeah, we just gotta. My strategy is to hopefully no one hits me for 10 minutes, and then I'll win. Um, well, me included, of course, that only leaves 23 spots, but uh, let's, let's see where we can go. And Mitchell, you obviously have uh, quite a sort of plan for, for us to refer to. Um, yeah, yeah. So before we jump into that, Matt, I do want to start with you. To, uh, obviously, there are some obvious ones that come to mind, but obvious or deep cuts. Who would you want to see in a theoretical All-Stars 2? Yeah, I mean, you're right, right? Like, the, the number of characters that PlayStation has added, iconic characters PlayStation has added in the last, like, five years alone is kind of crazy. Like, Jin from Ghost of Tsushima. Obviously, the, the Last of Us crew. Like, can you imagine them in the in the fighting game? Uh, yeah, right? Like, Mitchell's got covered. You know, it's easy. Uh, I... So before this, I looked up the roster from the original PlayStation All-Stars because I didn't play, and I feel like I'm having a stroke, right? Like, I'm looking through this list, and it's like Big Daddy from, from Bioshock, uh, what is it, Raiden from Metal Gear, uh, flipping Isaac Clark from Dead Space. Could yeah. you imagine if uh, Sakurai came out and was like, the next character for Super Smash Brothers 
is Isaac Clark. Isaac Clark stomps into battle. I'm like, I, it's insane. Uh, so it's I'm a just weird roster. Yeah, it's a really weird, weird roster. roster. It could, I mean, if they're, Dante if they're really, from the Devil May Cry reboot. Yeah. Right, not yeah. Like if they were able to do something like that for for a potential sequel, just really just like lean in on th- like I, they are better placed for first party characters now yep. more than ever. But if they were willing to just go, you know, to the wall with uh, third party, you know, partnerships, like they could get some really weird John Madden. I don't know, uh, Cristiano <laughs> Ronaldo from FIFA, right? Because of how how close FIFA is with PlayStation. Uh, John Madden with the boom, tough acting tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> go ham. I want to see. Uh, oh man, uh, what a weird, weird ass roster. So you're you're advocating to continue the weirdness then? Yeah, they should okay. bring in they should bring in left field third party characters despite having a really strong first party roster. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, what you can say is it would let you save some of those those characters the, that people know and expect as DLC. Uh, I got not one. that you want to gate all that, but yeah, please go ahead. Arthur Morgan from Red Dead Redemption Two. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Right. I buy yes. it. Yeah. I don't know why, but you saying Arthur made me think the Order eighteen eighty six because of it's basically the Knights of the Round Table. Mm-hmm. Um, I, man, I want to see one of them in there, even though they had one game at the beginning of the PS four <laughs> that no one, it, it, well, people liked, but it didn't review well. Um, but okay, okay. So uh, to begin, Mitchell, you have you have your list. Who do you feel like are are definites that give me like four definites that need to be in there? All right. So for the definites, I think we got to get. Kratos. Um, well, okay, so the way I broke this down on my whiteboard was I got uh, the must-haves who are returning. Like, okay. the, you know, this would be the equivalent of, like, the Marios, the Links, the Samuses, and Smash Brothers. Of course. And then I got the must-haves that are, are new from, like, okay. you know, that weren't in the original game. Okay. And so I think for must-haves, if I was just to pick, like, four must-haves, which is impossible, and I hate you for making me do it. Um, but I would say you got to have Kratos from the, the original God of War trilogy. Okay. You got to have Nathan Drake. Not the new one? Sorry, I didn't mean it. Not the, well, not I'm, the talking about, I'm talking about returning. Uh. <laughs> you also have to get the, 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 the new Kratos from the PS4 God of War. I think mm. that those are two character slots that you need to have because they're, oh, they're so different in terms of, of you know, what they look like, what moveset they use, really. Because I think you know, 2018 God of War Kratos would be largely centered around the Leviathan X, whereas, okay. you know, the old trilogy Kratos would be centered around the, the Blades of Chaos, of course. To, to help further distinguish, because you are getting into sort of a, like, Link versus Toon Link uh, situation mm, here. Right. Um, yeah, should yeah. it be Kratos with Atreus? As that a could work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to use one just... of my slots for that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that could work. Okay, Kratos um, with Atreus. And then I anyway. think you got uh let's see what else. Uh I think you want to have a spread of of generations. So I think you would want to have Parappa returning. Okay. Um you know, and and probably like Sly or Jack or Ratchet, one of those. You got to pick one. Got to pick one? Yeah, oh, this God. is going in the definitive list. So Okay. This is the launch list for PlayStation that, All-Stars Battle Royale 2. Then I got to say, you know what? Insomniac's already going to have enough love with with Spider-Man on here, so I'm going to say Sly. Nice. I approve. 
<laughs> I heavily approve of that. Okay. Uh, so, so far, you've added Kratos, the original trilogy version, Nathan Drake, Parappa, and Sly. This is a good cross section so far. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, either third party weird picks or mainstays, who would you have to add to this roster? So, I, I mean, you know, I did think about this. I would like to see um, either uh joel or ellie and i feel like they would play like uh jill valentine in marvel vs. capcom 2 you know where they could okay. bring in a clicker as part of like a special or something <laughs> you know uh i think that'd be neat uh i would like to see one of the knights from the souls from the from software souls games Ooh, uh, okay. i feel like demon souls remake would probably be an easy one but you know it just, you know it'd be cool it'd be a cool thing they'd have some sort of bonfire special i uh, i would imagine <laughs> Uh, let's get patches then, let's get patches in there and just oh kick people God. off the edge uh, <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna take the gimme the i'm gonna take the easy one spider-man okay. you know yeah. people love people love that spider guy uh and then for number four uh you know what let's go let's go with a tetris block from tetris <laughs> oh really L block t block yeah i gotta know which block that is mm. a key piece of information I like uh, what is it? I don't I don't know the proper terminology. Left L, the reverse L, the this okay. one. Left L, okay. Left yeah, yeah, yeah. L. Left L. <laughs> Left L block is officially going in. The uh, I like her champion of the GameFAQs uh, character tournament of two thousand. Oh right, something I, I don't know. I think if I I think if I ever met if I was walking down the street and Left L block came after me, I would be horrified. Right, but only. Nightmare. Only left L. I think right L is a punk. I, I could take on right L block. <laughs> right L would, would get the crap kicked out of the mix. Yeah, right I would L? beat up right L, uh, right L so hard. Left L, though, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, man. Take it easy. Care, take it easy. <laughs> tier list. Left L block, S tier. Right L block, trash tier. Bottom, oh just God. garbage. Um, get him in the bin. I really like a Tetris block in there because uh, the super could literally just be all of the blocks piling in and crushing all of the other fighters. <laughs> it's right there. Um, that's a that's a solid cross section. I, I like what you're working with there. Um, I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to use one of my spots for Kratos with Atreus. Uh, two Kratoses might be controversial, but that's what we're here to do. Um, my second pick. I have a very specific thought in mind. And even though I know a lot of people uh, to your point, Mitchell, you were saying like, Oh, they should probably make the sequel a little bit closer to actually smash brothers instead of trying mm-hmm. to veer away so much as they did. I know a lot of people don't love that idea, but I, I kind of am with you uh, in that vein. I would nominate Astrobot to be in the game. Yes. But Astrobot would essentially be the Kirby of this game and can take mm-hmm. the powers of any of the other fighters because in Astro's playroom, there's just Astrobots in all the costumes of PlayStation history. They already have those assets made. They already have him looking like Kratos. So we just oh, need to put yeah. that here. It, that would be cool. I'm saving them time and money is what I'm saying by doing this. <laughs> um, so anyway, you make Astrobot the Kirby of PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Uh, and that's my second pick. Um, my my third pick, just to kind of go with more of the, the obvious ones, uh, I feel like if we don't, we're going to uh get oh no maybe i can leave this to the the audience uh so i'm going to say for now ape escape as well to keep going a a little bit further that's the thing i'm debating whether it would be spike or an ape (laughs) i don't know just an ape from ape escape well yeah because like what spike is a very you know obviously he catches the apes but he's not Mm. he's not violent i guess Mm -hmm. um not that you know 
Uh, well, a Tetris left L is violent. We've we've all agreed and decided on that. Now, you know what? It's going to be Spike. Spike is going to go on the well, list. Worth mm-hmm. worth mentioning, Spike was in the original. True. true. Very true. So you uh, can either you can either go for returning returning pl- uh, fighter, or you can you know get get someone get someone completely new. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. But Matt, were you going to say something? Uh, no, I think I actually would have sided with Monkey, but I, you know, Spike's okay. got all those tools, so that's the player. You know what I mean—the combo and stuff like that. So it's all good. I just want just yeah, bring Matt, back Ape Escape. Just bring it back. Yeah, just bring back Ape Escape is basically what we're asking. Um, I am going to also then. So that's three of my four. Um, my fourth is uh oh god. Now it's now it's getting down to it. Uh, I am going to put in. I think of this past generation. No, I do have Kratos from this past generation. You know, I'm going to do it. I know it's an obvious one. Let's put Ration and Clank in there. Uh, I can't not have those those boys. Uh, but alternately, um, they should be able to change to uh, Rivet. And uh, mm. why am I blanking? Oh, my God. Her, her the adorable new robot. Uh, I'm going to break my brain and look, look this I'm, up on Google. I'm blanking, too. Yeah, um, I'm going to look that up quickly uh, as we go into that. But um, as we do that, Mitchell, and I'm going to start looking up some some audience suggestions. We do have, uh, I said, 16 slots from us, so we do have four more. So I'm going to give each of you two more to put in. Two more, okay. Two more. Well, I'm I'm going to do it because none you guys didn't yet, and it's one of the, the biggest travesties of the original PlayStation All-Stars and of Smash, honestly. Crash Bandicoot needs to be in a Smash Brothers like game. And Thank you. and I think this is it. Uh he he for whatever reason was not considered to be a a, a large enough PlayStation mascot to be in PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Uh I know there's there's rights issues and he's now a part of Activision or whatever. But uh but yeah, Crash Bandicoot needs to be in a in a PlayStation game. He was there. He was there Mario um so i think he's a must and then let's see if i look at my board again <laughs> it's, it's rivet and kit i completely blanked on kit i apologize kit. But rivet and That's kit it. would be the essentially the what what are they called in smash like the the oh ice climbers oh echo echo fighters echo fighters thank oh. you yeah they, they would yeah. basically be that. but no yeah i know what you're talking about matt they could be a little bit like that for sure yeah, I, uh <laughs> I think for my second pick, I'm gonna go because we we obviously I think Matt's got the 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 wild cards covered um, with with his left L block. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna go with another PlayStation first party character and say Celine from Returnal. Nice, that was the one a lot of people on Twitter mentioned, and uh, I I like that one a lot. I think like her fully suited up and powered up with everything could be a lot of fun in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like those two choices. Uh, Matt, back to you with two more. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm all in on weird third party picks. I think uh, <laughs> I've already said uh, Arthur and Ronaldo. So I think Tubi uh, from Near, yeah, the series would be a great guest character. Uh, just makes a lot of sense, and I think, she, which is kind of weird for me to say because Nintendo's got Bayonetta, but maybe Tubi's too sexy for uh, for Smash Brothers. Who knows? But you know, here it is. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> uh, let's see. I oh, I had one, and then for some reason I kept blanking because when you said Returnal, I just kept thinking about it. 
now i still need <laughs> to play it um oh my god i had it i really was really well, you think I can give yeah. some others that, by the way, because I'm bad at math, apparently does get us to 16, but I'm, I'm going to let you still pick a wild card. No, never mind. We did it. We got it. We hit that number. <laughs> we figured it out. Uh, well, we still have it was 24. You said Mitchell was the 24 is, is I believe what the original roster was on PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Cool. So I actually I'm remember. I remember what okay. I was going to say. Go for Sorry. it. This is number 17. Go for uh, it. Either you like, you know, uh, Smash has Cloud and Sephiroth. So smash uh i mean all stars can get tifa or Aerith. yes Ooh. yeah i was gonna say ff7 I, I put squall i put oh. squall on mine squall nice. or zidane i don't know if you can see that okay i i do want to go through your full lists uh after we compile this uh amalgam of our lists but uh yeah <laughs> i think red our producer not so subtly is telling us to put jin sakai on, on the <laughs> did we not uh, do we not put jin in yet no what I'm going to say is I was leaving this to the audience because there were a lot of, thankfully, r- recognizable picks. Uh, Jin and Aloy are still not on our list currently. <laughs> um, so, For the record, they are on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so from picks, and I'm going to find specific people to, to mention for all of these because I only think it's fair to do so. Um, let's see. I'm going to say a uh, friend of the show, Crossmack, a.k.a. Gibbs, uh, did mention, let's see, any... Uh, Oh, he did mention Norman Reedus, though. Not not Death Stranding no. Norman Reedus. Just Norman. <laughs> not Sam Porter Bridges. Norman no, Reedus. Norman Reedus, which I'm going to put as a as an alt possibility. Mm-hmm. He's gonna uh, he's now. gonna have a uh, he's gonna have his little backpack from Death Stranding and his crossbow from from uh, Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. I like it. Um, we're also Christopher said, and I'll I'll let you both pass judgment on this. I think a proper and and this Matt I think plays in, into your your hopes. I think a proper All Stars two roster needs to be weird. It should take <laughs> advantage of the cast of characters that have come through Sony's history. This is why my first nomination is Ethan Mars from Heavy Rain. Oh, oh. press press X to show. Weird. <laughs> I love yeah. it. That's his, so weird. His ultimate would just be yelling his son's name. <laughs> and that like it just annoys people mm-hmm. to, to their doom. Um, so I'm gonna put Ethan Mars on this list for now. And his grab so, yeah. would be would be an awkward kiss that never oh, never looks God. like it really has connection. Oh, that move, <laughs> oh, that game. And uh, uh, the finishing move would be a disappointing ending. <laughs> <laughs> uh moving on from there jordan gave three options um i'm gonna kind of leave it to both of you which you would prefer uh the shadow of the colossus main character the kid from bully or a bug snack wow good choice i i actually had thought about wander i was gonna put him on the board but i started thinking about like what what does he actually do (laughs) (laughs) he rides a horse he he can climb he can (laughs) climb he can and, uh, raise his sword and point light at places. Yeah, you know, uh, not the, be- the we do have a few sword fighters as it is. So, uh-huh. um, who? So I guess l- let's maybe take him off. Uh, I, Matt, I may know your answer, but bully <laughs> or a bug snack? Then. Oh man, come on! I'm I'm wild card right now. It's got to be a bug snack. Yeah, and then know. also when you get bug snacks, you get the song for yeah. for you get a song and you get a stage. That's a like, good one. Yeah. I think I think you got to go with bug snacks. All right, so we've we've got a bug snack added to the roster. Uh, I'm gonna keep looking for so uh, Damon, not our coworker Damon, uh, said the hunter from Bloodborne. How do we feel about Bloodborne Hunter being in? Yeah, yeah, 
I feel I'm like a, mostly to annoy people that there isn't a Bloodborne two immediately happening mm. when they show him. Um, I agree. Bloodborne Hunter. So how many does that put us up to? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. So we have three spots left. Jin and Aloy are still not on this list. Okay, let's <laughs> we're let's do them. it. We're gonna put we're Jin gonna put and Aloy in. on the list. <laughs> okay, and then for our final spot, then uh, I'm gonna look through a, a few suggestions and and uh, pitch you all on them. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, our producer Red is suggesting 3D dot game heroes <laughs> as an option. I think I love Red. I love that you are communicating to us via the B roll of this show. Uh, wow. This is one of my favorite things you've ever done. So meta. Um, we have 3D dot game heroes as one option. Um, Joey suggested the puppet boy from Puppeteer. I do not remember. That's a good name. one. Uh, I'm gonna give us let's say four choices and we'll whittle down to one. We don't have Spyro. Spyro was one of the other mm. most requested um, and feels like they'd be on here. Uh, and last but not least, I guess uh, I'll make that number three. And then number four, Dustin and several other people suggested a car from Gran Turismo. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about that, too. <laughs> Dustin specifically said a Toyota Castrol Super G or Castrol. I don't Super GT 96, the poster car of Gran Turismo <laughs> one and two. I mean, that's also, you know, okay. Oh, Red's right. got the, the showstopper right now. Asura from Asura's Wrath. <laughs> Is that how you say it? Asura, yeah. Okay, I always said Asura. Uh, that's I, said Asura. I, I, I um, think it depends on, on what your native it, so. language would be. I, I, I think in Japanese it would be Asura. Good to know. I appreciate that. Um, so we, we now have 3D Duck Game Heroes. Um, Asura from Asura's Wrath. Uh, a car, the puppeteer boy, uh, and then who was the final one I said? Spyro. Uh, Spyro, which of course yeah. would be my personal pick, but I kind of want to leave it to you, you both of the of the of those five choices. So I feel like getting a a car from Gran Turismo would also be a a money opportunity for this game, and mm -hmm. you know, this game probably is going to need some some money in order to actually happen. After so. the roster we're putting into it, absolutely. <laughs> so I would be down. I'd be down with a Toyota-sponsored uh, Gran Turismo character in in the game. Sure, why not? Matt, how are you feeling about that? So <laughs> I so that's good actually. I like that. Uh, so I was looking at the at the list and I misread uh, Dustin's response where I thought he said a poster of a car and I thought that was way more entertaining than a poster car. <laughs> I was like, okay. Like a flat 3D poster. Yeah. I was like, you know, I'll, I'll take it. That's fine. Uh, no, that's, uh, I don't, they're all fine. They're all weird. You actually, you know what though? You know what I was thinking uh, regarding yeah. uh, Spyro and Crash? This is not, honestly, my vote, take it whichever way. It's a, it's a gimme, but uh the people who currently have Spyro and Crash have done like a such a good job of wrestling those two characters away from PlayStation, you yeah. know, that I wonder if they even fit anymore. But I guess that's just me. Yeah, I get what you mean. I think that at, at the very least, Crash has become so yeah. much of a po like when Crash came back in, in 2017, that was a PlayStation showcase, you know, like 2016 mm. major announcement. I, I love Spyro and, and I think I may even like Spyro a little bit more. Um, sorry crash i love you both <laughs> almost equally um the i feel like at least in terms of the history and dna of, of playstation crash is looked at more 
still mm-hmm. uh though both are you know very very obviously indebted to their playstation history um parasite oh. eve another option from red uh red i feel like you could come up with a roster just on your own uh <laughs> and it would be it would look nothing like the roster we have created. uh but I guess with that, I'm going to put the Toyota car on the list. Well, I, I, also, I also have one other option that I think actually could use the Toyota car. Ooh. Uh, I, I would like to put forth the idea of Kevin Butler, <laughs> the, oh. the PlayStation marketing genius of what, the early 2000s, was it? Yes, yeah. Well, yeah. the, the actor who was, yes. The actor, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like he could, like his his gimmick could be he he uses a bunch of a bunch of things from other playstation games he could like just drive a gran turismo car as one of his attacks he could you know throw the leviathan axe he could uh you know call out vibribbon to to do something (laughs) Uh, so i love it and apologies to gibbs i here's here's my pitch to both of you we take off norman reedus just because him as a as a figure isn't perhaps as important to playstation Mm -hmm. as funny as it would be uh Put Kevin Butler in his place, uh, and then add, for a real world person, and then add Spyro uh, as a as a missing spot. I think this uh, is a good compromise. Yeah. Okay, so currently, just as as our list stands, Chrono Cross as well <laughs> from Red. I love this. the way you keep throwing these up just perfectly. For anyone who's listening to the audio version, please go check out a little bit of this on video. It is very funny how how they just come out of nowhere. I love it. Um, but okay, our current roster as it stands for the launch lineup not the the final lineup of playstation all-stars battle royale kratos the original trilogy version nathan drake for rap of the rapper sly cooper joel or ellie we didn't actually decide i like ellie i think ellie would be cool We're with ellie. Could, they be the, could they be the same character with a different skin <laughs> they're they're echo fighters it's ellie with the echo fighter of joel that's mm-hmm, what i'm gonna mm-hmm. i'm gonna yeah, there you go to, okay yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ellie with that drill echo fighter. Um, we had a, a, a souls, uh, knight of some kind. Should no, it be, no. what is the, the demon souls guy? Why can't I think well, of his name? Uh, I mean, or dark just, souls, excuse me. I mean, they're the same. Uh, I don't know, like the praise knight. the sun guy. Oh, Solaire. Solaire. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that's not, that's not demon souls. No, no I know. <laughs> I, just, I was thinking dark souls, um, in there as well. Do we, do we still want this guy on the list or Matt? Yeah. Blue? Yeah, sure. Right. I don't even know what this is. <laughs> what was jumping fish? Jumping no, flash. Jumping, jumping flash. Oh, jumping flash. Yeah. I still it don't is know what on that is. the PlayStation Classic, actually. I ah. One of one of the most beloved old PlayStation games yeah. that no one's ever played. Exactly. Uh so we have a Demon Souls Knight as as a as a pick on this list. Demon Souls Knight! <laughs> <You> pick him. <laughs> uh Spider-Man. Tetris left L block. Gotta be left. Tetris left L block. <laughs> Kratos with Atreus. Astrobot. Spike from Ape Escape. Ratchet and Clank with Echo Fighter Rivet and Kit. Crash Bandicoot. Celine. Arthur Morgan. 2B from Nier. Uh, Tifa. A Bug Snack. Bloodborne's Hunter. Ethan Mars. Spyro. Jin. Aloy. And Kevin Butler. How I'd do we this. feel about that as a final roster? I would play this. I I think uh, this this roster automatically uh, puts it in the upper echelon of of platform fighters. Uh, and doesn't even matter what the gameplay's like. Doesn't even no. matter if it's the exact same 
style of play that PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale one had that got it, you know, ultimately panned. No, uh, they spo- should change the gameplay. Oh, they should. Okay. <laughs> Spoilers: uh, There is actually no game. It is just a character select screen, and every time you try to start a match, it's just like begin, and then nothing ever happens. Um, well, we have that roster. Let us know how angry you are about that roster in the comments. Uh, I like the the weird machinations of this list. Uh, and and we'll see if PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale two ever happens, and how many of these actually get included. Uh, but that is that is a question for another day. And instead, for today, before we wrap up, I do want to uh, talk about some of the games we've been playing, both uh, review and preview wise. Uh, before we get off the fighter beat, Mitchell, let's start with you. You recently reviewed Nickelodeon All Star Brawl. Yeah. Um, what did you think? I think it's a good game. Um, you know, it, it's. It's janky. <laughs> it is janky to say the least. But um, you know, this is this is a, a game that's made by people who know the the platform fire genre. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the the game that they they developed. Um, but it, it was like a, a Smash Brothers like, and it was pretty good, pretty well respected among the the community. If you are a fan of Smash Brothers Melee and you know, you have felt disappointed by every Smash Brothers game since then because they they've kind of moved away from that really fast paced. Um, <laughs> I I want to say like finger exhausting <laughs> style of play that that melee was. I think this game really does bring back that style. It's super fast. It's so dang fast. Um, characters are able to move really, really quickly, especially because everyone has this air dodge that when you angle it downwards, they get a huge boost of speed and they can slide on the ground, which allows for really fast wave dashing. It's also really easy to wave dash. If you ever had a problem wave dashing in, in melee, don't worry about it. (laughs) Super easy in this game. Um, so yeah, so I think the, the big thing that also makes it really worth playing is that I think the the online play is pretty good compared to Smash Brothers Ultimate, which has online play that is pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Um so yeah, I think I think this is a really solid start. Um the big issue with it is that for a game that is centered around Nickelodeon characters and Nickelodeon charm, the fact that they couldn't get voice acting mm. and they couldn't get like iconic Nickelodeon songs or remixes of those songs or sound effects from the shows, uh, it really makes it feel almost soulless, um, which is a big, big bummer. Yeah, I and then uh, beyond oh, no, you go ahead. Uh, and then I was just say beyond that, like you know, the single player offering offerings are very, very small. There's not, there's not a lot of reason to to play single player. There's no like unlocks or anything beyond a couple of like pictures or, or songs that you're probably not going to want to listen to. Um, so yeah, that, that that's generally what I thought about it. Totally. Uh, I was looking it up. The, the game they previously made was slap city. I think is that's it. The one. Slap yeah. city. Yeah. Um, I, I have not played nearly as much as, as you have of it, but I, I very much echo everything you, you said just now and, and in your review, which people should go watch or read, uh, it's up on IGN. And yeah, like as a huge longtime Nickelodeon fan, it's really cool to have all these characters fighting and the fact that it's Aang versus Patrick versus Reptar <laughs> is like so silly and wonderful and fun. And I, I, I love it. And I think like 
the look of the characters and their move sets and the stage designs all are really cool. But I'm totally mm-hmm. with you in that, like, even just the first seconds of booting it up, I was like, oh, there's no frill to this. There's no like presentation really. It mm-hmm. is just like mm-hmm. go through two menus, pick your fighter, and go. And it's the as you said, there's not the sound effects, there's not that Nickelodeon charm through through every little bit of the experience. And we can only like speculate about the reasons why, but I, I'm totally with you that if it's a bummer. All that stuff isn't there to elevate it to that next level. Yeah, um, for it, sure. But as you said, it's still a really solid fighter and I'm, I'm curious to see what post-launch support is like. The, the developers have talked a bit about like, they don't want to just put this thing out there and then let it be like, they do seem to care about it, its future and, and the possible competitive scene for it and all those things. So it'd be really curious to see, but uh, your, your review of it was, was I think a really great, thorough look at, at sort of the state of it at launch yeah um, all right guys i'm i'm erasing my whiteboard let's speculate <laughs> on a dream nickelodeon all-stars roll roll roster roster oh, uh, block. let's go <laughs> uh the kid from chalk zone should definitely be in it i oh, think yeah. um i could actually do this list just as easily as, as PlayStation. <laughs> um but yeah definitely please go check out uh mitchell's full review uh on ign uh as well uh if, if you haven't already uh other than that any other games that you've been playing recently that you want to shout out all fighting games actually yeah um something that just came out today or something that not didn't just come out but uh the embargo just can't just hit for it so i can talk about it uh demon slayer uh kimetsu no yaiba the hinokami chronicles um it's a game based off of the very popular anime demon slayer and it's pretty good uh also similar to, to nickelodeon all-stars um you know very very strong fundamentals um it unlike nickelodeon all-stars which i think actually has a very respectable starting roster the the, the roster of this game is very very small and it, I think if you look at it, just if you look at just the numbers, it's like 18 characters, which would be fine. But six of those characters are just uh, like joke Academy reskins of other mm-hmm. characters, uh, which are very funny. But, you know, that's 12 characters that you basically have that are actually unique. And even among those 12 characters, a lot of them share the same special moves because they're, they use the same fighting style. And this game is is nothing if not, you know, stubbornly adherent to the source material, <laughs> which I think is both a good thing and also maybe not such a good thing because gotcha. a lot of it is in the story mode, just walking around very slowly from one place to another while dialogue happens. And it's not the most entertaining dialogue in the world. Gotcha. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a long story mode. It's like, you know, maybe like 10, 12 hours. And a lot of that is just spent walking. <laughs> that's, and uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Didn't want to. No, no, no. You, you go ahead. I was just gonna say that's that's unfortunate to hear that that side of it. But yeah, this was one that I know, like the IGN audience in particular, has been really excited to see launch. Does it seem like something they intend to keep supporting, kind of post launch? Yeah, I, mean, I think so. There's, there's so they've announced that there's going to be six free characters of DLC. Gotcha. So that's cool. Um. I think the first two are are going to be Akaza and Rui, who are characters that you fight against in the story mode. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I, I think in in two games, <laughs> in two successive games, this will be one of the best anime games in in like out there. Um, gotcha. But it's it's not there yet. It's gotcha. it's got a lot of room to grow. 
Well, uh, I guess I'll look forward to updating our top 10 anime game adaptations list in a couple of years then with you. Yeah. Uh, once and shout out, shout out to, to our freelancer, Will Borger, who worked on this review. I actually, uh, I removed myself from it because I actually, I'm, I'm friends with a couple of people in the, the main cast. So I didn't want to have to, you know, mm. worry about having to review it and, Fair enough. you know, commenting on voice acting. <laughs> Name drop that voice acting. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, it's a it's a lot of the main cast <laughs> such such good friends as demon and slayer yes. <laughs> uh i have not watched it as you could probably tell uh but thank you uh for your impressions on both of those mitchell very much yeah. uh, appreciated and matt want to throw to you i know uh just as as the show is uh, recording today slash going up today uh you put up your preview of final fantasy 14 and walk yes yes i did the massively popular mmorpg <laughs> with the free trial that goes up to heaven's ward the meme the meme anyways uh yeah i uh i basically played end walker for the whole day uh obviously the no story content during our hands-on preview just but i got a a look at one of the early dungeons plus i got to get hands-on time with two new classes a dps uh reaper and a healing class sage which is I don't know why I did my recording of the dungeon with Sage. I'm not a healer main, so like that's 45 minutes of me actively struggling. Like you can, <laughs> like if you're an expert on Final Fantasy 14 and you're trying to watch me play in that video, that is me being like unoptimized. Everybody lived, so Good. I call that so that's a win. So yes. I'm not going to say I'm a bad healer because we cleared that dungeon. But it is not the best healing, and it is certainly not my best healing. But yeah, uh, it's great. It's Final Fantasy XIV. It's the next one, and it's going to be awesome because Final Fantasy XIV is currently awesome, which I guess is, makes – Jonathan, you were you were trying to play it. How are, did you drop I it? Was. I know it's been, been busy I, for us. Yeah, I paused for a little bit, but I got through the full main campaign, like mm. the original base campaign, uh, and was into the first patch update. Quest okay. Lines. Um. So I know I have still a ridiculous amount of the game left to go, uh, and don't think I will get there before Endwalker. But I was really enjoying it. I actually am a healing main, uh, a white oh. mage main. Uh, um. So I'll I'll be heavily judging all of the gameplay. <laughs> but uh, that's that's what we're gonna do for the rest of the show. But no, I'm I'm really excited for it. Um. I I know that like based on what I've heard, the expansions it just seems to get better and better, and uh, you know it feels like we're at a very big focal height point for the game mm-hmm. like it really has kind of kept reaching these new heights uh, of popularity and and you know like living up to it w- w- with what they've been putting out um and obviously you know you were saying you didn't get the uh story content look yet obviously but uh did you like the, your experience of those two new classes did you enjoy w- what you saw of them yeah i think um i think reaper in particular is going to be very popular uh for both like uh veteran and you uh, it's not that it's not particularly hard to pick up uh it encourage the gameplay encourages sort of just like a lot of attacking all the time and so it's you know you if you are not say strategically minded you're just going to be able to whap someone with a with a scythe back and forth and it's going to be super fun um so yeah uh, sage is going to be tricky i think sage is a fairly complicated uh because it's a barrier healer so it's not like a pure healer where you're just healing and attacking your heals and your buffs are sort of tied to you attacking so you really have to optimize a lot of your rotation to get like maximize potential of everything like that i think it's going to be a very fun class for folks to learn but might not be the best healer to begin with if you're like new to the game and you're like i want to pick up a healer which is you know which i would 
I feel like Sage would be tempting only because of how cool it looks. Like they use these yeah. mechanical robot uh, arms uh, to to attack and to and to heal, and it looks badass as hell. But uh, there is a learning curve. But I'm not, you know, I don't like. Uh, I think one of the best things about Final Fantasy fourteen is that it's not. Uh, it's not impossible to learn a class, right? And so uh, I. Uh, but it kind of builds, right? Like you pick up maybe uh, a white mage, uh, and then you learn a sage is maybe the way to go, right? Or once you pick up the basics of healing with another class, then a sage would be much easier for you. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, both classes are are very cool looking so far, super viable. Um, yeah, and man, you're like right there knocking on on that heaven's ward door, man. You're yeah. Got to just push the door open because yeah. man, it's just been sitting there. But I, I would really like to get there uh, because I've I enjoyed so much of it uh, and and know that it only continues to get better. Um, but yeah, you're so you have uh, just for those looking for for stuff out there, we have both video and written coverage up on the site. Uh, yeah, you can get a written preview, which is a, a very nice uh, summary of everything you're going to expect to see in Endwalker. And we have 45 minutes of Sage gameplay, plus a uh, eight-minute video that tours three of the six new areas uh, with all of that good Final Fantasy XIV music. So nice. Uh, that's definitely just a pleasant watch, I think. Oh, yeah, just put that on for studying music and you have mm-hmm. a fantastic score. Uh, yeah, a well, free preview of the soundtrack, if anything. Exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for your impressions of that, and definitely go recommend uh, checking all of his coverage up uh, that is now on IGN. Uh, and other than that, uh, before we wrap up, I did, in fact, and forgot to say at the very beginning of this, uh, I spoke with the Jet the Far Shore uh, co-creator and the composer, uh, Craig D. Adams, the co-creator, and Scientific, the composer also who has done Oxenfree and a, and a few other great uh, scores as well. Uh, we spoke a little bit about the creation process of that game over almost a decade uh, and a lot of what went into creating this interesting alien world and, and experience that they made. So I'm going to throw to myself and you all can listen. I am very excited to have with me for this uh, special little inclusion and beyond. If, if you're watching the video version, don't worry, Max and Brian did not suddenly change their appearances instantly. Uh, no, I am here with Craig D. Adams, the co-creator of Jet the Far Shore, and Andy Rohrman, aka Scientific, the composer of Jet the Far Shore. Thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I am I am a huge fan of the the game itself and obviously the the soundtrack as well. So I'm I'm excited to to dig in a little bit more with with both of you about it, uh, especially as it's been something that even when I'm not playing, I'm I'm thinking a lot about Jet these days. And for for those out there who may not have heard me talk about it on the show before, uh, Jet the Far Shore is currently available on PlayStation and PC. Uh, it is. I, I will say, Craig, and, and maybe I can throw to you, when I tend to start describing Jet as a player, I get into very emotional territory uh, pretty quickly and, and then suddenly start to forget to tell people how, how I'm playing the game. And because uh, I think especially, you know, I was replaying the, the intro last night just before we uh, before we had this interview. And uh, the, the way I think the, the game captures the, the thrill and excitement, but also the, the fear and, and mystery of, of space exploration is extremely powerful right off the bat. And, and obviously this is a game, you know, set and, and focused around uh, exploration of an alien world. But do you want to give maybe people who don't know Jet a, a little bit of sort of the elevator pitch of what Jet the Far Shore is? Uh, sure, yeah. Jet the Far Shore is a tricky concept to nutshell 
Um, and it began as this kind of DIY moonshot of a project, you know, uh, sort of a science fiction interstellar narrative with a lot of mood and an emphasis on music, a little bit like with uh, Sword and Sorcery, this time with uh, the brilliant scientific uh, on deck to create the score. And so, yeah, it draws you through various sort of mood-focused and story-focused on-foot sequences, hits you with some cinematics that, you know, take you to sort of intimate moments or kind of grandiose, epic moments. And then it brings you into what is kind of the core uh, action-adventure gameplay, which has you piloting the jet. Um, and it's kind of a distinct feel. It kind of relates to if you imagine like an IMAX film where your IMAX camera is, you know, in a chase helicopter, you know, set back a little ways so you can take in the grandeur of your surroundings of the planet that you're on and the sky that's up above. So from that perspective, you play this jet scout <clears throat> steering the jet along, you know, skimming over the ocean, taking jumps, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and the premise has you doing that on this unfamiliar planet, which is, uh, which is called the far shore. It's sort of an ocean planet, but with, you know, various islands and ecosystems and things to encounter. And then the way in which we kind of engage you, uh, with this kind of type of activity is we go from this kind of like jet movement, jet mobility, these jet verbs. I mean, sometimes we'll bring you down to the ground to kind of like observe the scale difference and kind of uh, get to know what's happening with your fellow jet scouts, what's on their mind, what's the kind of story that's unspooling. And then, you know, you hop back in the jet and you get this kind of nice contrast where now all of a sudden, boom, you're zipping around. And the focus there is on keeping it engaging, a little bit spicy here and there. Um, you've got some scientific tools, you know, a little bit you know, Metroid Prime adjacent that let you uh, inspect things and figure out what's going on. And there's a lot of adapting to do that. You've got some other tools to pick things up and throw things. And this kind of stuff is what keeps you busy um, until, you know, the story goes along and, um, you know, there may be a revelation here or, <laughs> uh, you know, some threads that are added. And eventually you get to the place where there's a little bit of spice and you've got to you know, uh, get into some combat related scenarios. And, uh, if you kind of stick with it, you'll even, you know, discover a, a boss battle or two waiting for you in the back half there. So that's kind of a nutshell of, uh, of the project. Yeah. I, I, I've certainly been really enjoying the, the progression of, uh, of learning more about how to both navigate the jet and, and understand the world and, and the way those things kind of play together. And, and I do want to dive into the mechanic side of it, but you did mention something and, and obviously Andy, I, I want to hear from sort of both of you on it of how important music is, uh, to, to this game and, and the, the sort of soundscape of everything, uh, obviously without going into spoilers of the story, things sort of begin with the idea that this, uh, the civilization is looking for the source of the hymn wave. Uh, and, and that's sort of the thing that they've been uh, striving toward for so long. And obviously that, that kind of builds in the idea that this, this hum, this hymn, this, this sound is, is resonant and, and integral 
to the world and, and to the the exploration story itself. So, Andy, from your end, just to sort of start off, what, when did you come into the project and, and sort of what was your interest in, in exploring a soundscape specifically with the world of Jet? Uh, yeah, I came into the project in 2013. So it's been a long, long time. Uh, uh, all of it great. Uh, but actually, I started on the project in, I don't know, maybe a couple of years earlier, maybe even more, Craig, I'm not sure, but uh, they were demoing a prototype, basically, Game Jam prototype with some of my earlier music. Um, so in a way, I was involved in this project before I even uh, knew it existed. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, so that was a few years later. I think I was at my first ever GDC. I had only worked on a couple video games at that point, Sword and Sorcery being one. Uh, and someone came up to me and said, oh, well, I saw the new Super Brothers prototype, and your music's really, really great. I was like, I, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> that's how I found out my music was, uh, it was essentially prototype music for a prototype game. Uh, and then Craig and I began discussing, and as I think it was, you know, kind of sor sorcery PR stuff was winding down. Uh, Jet was uh, spooling up, and so that's when I started. And in in terms of uh, w what you wanted to to explore with this uh, universe and and your work on this game, obviously, uh, that's amazing to hear that your sort of work was there before you even knew it. <laughs> um, but what what specifically for you? And and again, I don't I don't want to spoil things for for people who haven't played. But for me, the the title sequence in particular of Jed is this really sort of awe-inspiring moment where I think both both the beautiful beautiful visual design of, of what the team has created, but also the way the, the sound kind of escalates and, and, and stirs as, as you get to this moment of kind of understanding the scope of, of what you're experiencing. What, you know, what were some of your inspirations in terms of wanting to create a, a moving space set soundscape, I guess? Maybe I'll um, dive in front of this question, Andy. So sure. um, <laughs> I'll roll back a, a second to the previous one to say that um, Patrick and I, Pine Scented, we had in mind this type of video game for a little while. We had put together a prototype at a video game jam. And because Andy and I had crossed paths on sorcery, you know, related to the Moon Grotto, I looked through his back catalog and found these gems that were just the right vibe for what Patrick and I wanted to do. So we had that from 2011, you know, shortly after sorcery. And so as Andy describes, there was a period of time where eventually we got around to saying, hey, Andy, would you like to join us on this uh, adventure? And then we kind of poured the audio and music foundation for real in yeah, 2013, 2014. And Andy has since built out just this cosmic ocean of music with an incredible amount of range, um, bringing yeah, this whole universe to life. But I always had it in mind that it would be cool if in addition to that, we could rope in sorcery composer Jim Guthrie somewhere, plug him in in like a special little guest spot. Yeah. And anyway, the way that it turned out is that, um, yeah, Jim <clears throat> is responsible for the music that begins as the rocket launches until 
we arrive at the far shore. So it's a, for me, at least it's an incredibly special gift to have gotten from someone who I've worked with since, you know, 2005 or whatever. Um, and to have it sort of inhabit this place in the project that's, um, you know, it's, it's sort of bigger than the story of the far shore in a certain way. Uh, it's kind of bookending it a little bit. Um, and the song appropriately enough, we decided to call it out of our hands as if like super brothers has moved on from the warm embrace of Jim, but also with the scouts in their rocket ship, you know, leaving the, uh, Cosmodrome Z 13, where those, that hand sculpture sits. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that just that's a that's incredible to hear and and apologies for sort of, you know, uh, miss uh, attributing the music. But I I certainly am curious to hear because as it goes on, you know, I I think being in this alien world and and as you're exploring it is there is something so evocative by just the soundscape. It's something I need to play with headphones on because it it, uh, wraps you up in in sort of the the terror and the thrill of it all. And so I I do certainly want to hear from you on on your inspirations there. Yeah, well, I, I even see the kind of broader scope of what this opening of this game is, which I have seen really extraordinary, extraordinarily positive comments about. I just, it's so complimentary and it's looking at it with the perspective of it actually being done and not being an (laughs) in-process thing. I really like that flow, I think, is done really well. And it actually starts with, um, well, it's a mix of the very few composers who worked on this game uh, all kind of are at the front. So actually the choir you hear in the steps is written and performed by Priscilla Snow and uh, uh, obviously a chorus of, of singers. And then it slips into some of my music and as you get to the uh, Cosmodrome and then as you're leaving, going into space, that's Jim. And then I kind of take over again. So it's such an epic uh, uh, arc through all of that, that people it's resonating with people and that feels really, really great. But it's also uh, 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 a great statement on that collaboration and to see like, like Priscilla came in cause I can't sing and I don't know how to write for singers and they have expertise in that area and did a wonderful job with it. And then obviously uh, Jim knocked it out of the park. Um, so to, you know, See that collaborative effort, I just think, speaks to uh, beyond just it. Oh, we made a kick-ass opening for a game uh, to just the collaborative effort that it took to make this whole project happen. Yeah, it um, there there's something that feels. Um, I guess this is a bit of a tangent on my part, but you know, obviously, w- we talk a lot on the show about sort of the the idea of how how much of a team effort uh, games, no matter the scale, can be. Save for when they're you know a one person project, obviously, and uh, every sort of facet uh, of Jet has been very inspiring for me it's hard to speak of it in sort of the you know well the the gameplay is x or the visuals are y there's sort of this marriage of of every aspect of it coming together um that that has really 
sort of instilled this excitement and thrill in, in me to keep going. And this is, I apologize, just me ranting about how much I've enjoyed the experience so far. But I to, to turn that into a question, um, I, you know, you both were mentioning sort of the the long d- development cycle, you, you know, really getting into things 2013-wise and onward. Um, I, I suppose how much of, you know, the things that you were doing at the beginning and the team was doing at large at the beginning became what jet is in the final project or the product, excuse me. And, and I guess, you know, how much of that initial nut and that idea that you had grew into to the final game and how much changed along the way. Do you want to do a fast answer, Andy, and then I'll come in with a rambler. <laughs> um, sure. I can, I can do a nutshell. Here, So, yeah, it's been an amazing contrast. So this was, I joke often about this being the first video game I ever worked on. I had done small <laughs> things, a very tiny bit of sorcery and a very, very bit of a, uh, another game. And then I started this. But the, I came in with a lot of musical experience and, you know, working in TV and other media. So I wasn't green in that sense, but uh, it was refreshing. I've always been into independence as possible diy as possible so the yeah the first many years were a tiny little team it was essentially as i'd say two and a quarter people it was patrick and craig and then me every once in a while yes craig uses the word orbiting around and i'd get to pass close by on a on a on occasion and and check in uh sanity check or what they're doing and maybe hand some things off on my way out. Uh, so yeah, so it's been really cool to see it start so small for so long and then develop right at the end sort of to expand to like, get it, get it done. Yeah. Yeah. My take on that, if you want to go on the way, way back machine, Patrick and I have been excited about making something with this tone and this vibe and that, sort of jet pulled back camera leaving a long trail since um 2007 and then 2011 we kind of kicked it back off again and then it, you know when we were able to sort of go full time on it around 2013 but i'd already logged about a a year of kind of laying out the concepts and the characters and this kind of thing um it was just the two of us with you know yeah andy in orbit <clears throat> and there would be like a year in there where where you say Hey Andy, we uh we're gonna be in touch, just not yet. And then like a an entire year might go by before we're like that took longer than expected. Uh, but here we are, and we've got this new request, or we've built out this part of the project. But through that time, you know, there was like, should we go in a VR direction, or like, is this the right story to focus on? We kind of imagined a universe that was broader than a single project, and even put time in to sort of explore and discover the possibilities there before kind of committing to what seemed like the most intriguing and compelling part of this broader narrative. And then it was just the two of us paying our dues, learning on the job, pretending to be video game designers, wrangling something that we were possibly a little unqualified to to wrangle, but always moving towards a pretty consistent vision like there was not a big shift isau and jones and ground control and tor were all in there from about 2014 um the jet its look its tools you know you could see it recognizably there early early on 
But, you know, imagine two people trying to film 2001, A Space Odyssey, <laughs> and having to invent the camera and do the effects and become actors. It's like that level of DIY from 2013 until, you know, 2019. Somewhere in there, we were certainly reeling in a part-time environment artist or recognizing our serious need to muscle up on design and production and getting Randy Smith in part-time. But until 2019, it really was this, um, yeah, this DIY moonshot. And then from a certain point in summer 2019, that was where we assembled this rip-roaring Jet Squad 1.0 and started to solve production quality problems like the choral music or the language or sort of sharpening design and all the other zillion things that you have to do to actually get a production like this uh, over the line. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a marked contrast in terms of complexity and intensity in those two different eras. Well, and and certainly at least, obviously my mind, and I, I apologize because I'm sure you've heard this parallel before, but obviously the idea of sort of two people going going forward on this journey w with other people within the orbit is is very apropos of the journey you go on in Jet, uh, at, at least in the the beginning of things. And so that's it's incredible to hear sort of the journey things have gone on. There there was something there that you had mentioned. I was just a little curious about. Uh, you talked about you know exploring this universe and and, and the wider ideas of it. You know debating. Uh, what format even that you might go in. One of my favorite things about uh, exploring in this game, of course, is that you get this great insight into the flora and fauna and, and the way this world is, is sort of built up. Um, because for those who don't know, your explorers are humanoid, but you're going to this completely alien foreign planet that, that has just so much to explore and discover. What I, I guess is sort of the process for, for the team of establishing the the lexicon of an alien world <laughs> yeah so that was something that patrick and i cooked up and by 2019 it was all in every colos and creature and all of that was there and it was just a, a long process of we wanted this maximalist design you know a sort of more prudent design would be to focus on a much smaller number of video game mechanics and entities and creatures in order to you know be able to get your shoulder under that but we did want it to feel like you're diving into a, a broad complex space and to have that feeling you've got to invent a zillion different things and then you've got to figure out how they relate to the design and then you've got to figure out the like jet lexicon name that like best suits them so it was just a process of um yeah, like what would be good for the gameplay? What aesthetically is the right feeling to bring? Some of these concepts go way back. Like Andy, you might remember the um, the dredge colas who you encounter early on, uh, the the sky whale. Uh, being in a 2014 build or even a 2013 build and being like, what if there was this kind of a thing in the air? We don't know why yet. And then over the years, it was like, what if it was bigger? What if it was even bigger? What if it had these doodads on it? And so it kind of grew into uh, what it eventually became. But yeah, in a design like this, there's there's so many constraints in terms of what a creature could or should do and how the player will need to respond to it and how we're going to need to communicate about it, that everything in there is, you know, like 1% uh, kind of driven by a creative what if, and then 99% 
solving for the problem space that we're in, in order to kind of um, get the right answer at the end. And then I guess the Jet Lexicon part, a lot of the names were sort of coming online as we went. But then, yeah, in the Jet Squad era, we were able to, you know, bring on some extra uh, folks to be in the sort of story editing space. Randy Smith was really good to have around in that zone. We brought on uh, Nick Sutner and uh, Terry Brosius, uh, both of whom are total legends. And so there were conversations of like, is Boombud a jet vibe word or is Polypop <laughs> too cute? Or like, is it Cosmodrome <laughs> Z13 or whatever it was? And that's a bit of a Ouija board exercise where at the end of the day, it <laughs> often ends with me going, I can't explain why, but this is the right answer for jet. Um, anyway, it's a fun time. I am. Um, yeah. As, as someone who, who loves sort of the, the etymology of, of naming things, I, I was, there, there have definitely been times where I'm staring at things. And I'm like, okay, maybe that would refer to that or, or that could come from that. But you're right. Sometimes there's just a feeling, uh, when naming those sorts of things. And, and, uh, before we wrap up, just, just in terms of the feeling of things, I, I do want to speak to something, Craig, you were mentioning and how this plays both into, uh, you know, the exploration side of it, but also, um, you know, setting the, the world around you, which I think comes so much from, from the soundtrack and the, and the composition, Andy, that you've worked on. Um, you were talking a little bit about that idea of this pulled back sort of IMAX look and, and having this really big grandeur to everything, but you do also have personal moments where you are in first person exploring on the ground. Um, I, I guess from your end, Craig, on a, on a design level, what, what most interest, interested you about the, not, not opposition, but sort of the dichotomy of, of those two experiences of this world? And, and why did both perspectives feel necessary? And, and Andy, for you, was there a difference in focus in, in terms of composing for things that were a little bit more when you're, you're in first person and, and going through things versus when you're in the jet? Um, I think my joke response would be that Patrick and I in 2013 were like, gee, this concept already seems like an, a lot to deliver on. What if we also made another video game where you walk around and talk to people and bolt that in and try to figure it out? So it <laughs> added mind-boggling amounts of um, complexity for two people to try to manage. But what drove Patrick and I in that direction was this feeling of, hey, we know what the design is for zipping around, but ideally, while you're zipping around, you're thinking thoughts about narrative and uh, interesting science fiction ideas. And so there's a few different routes we could have gone to present those kinds of ideas. And there are routes that would have been lower scope, like uh, slides or 2D presentation or different kinds of text. But for me, you know, I like to be able to be in a space and talk to somebody who is credibly in that space and to sort of get a sense of who they are so that I can kind of lock into whatever it is they're telling me. And so that just, it suggested that we, you know, as prudently as possible, try to target these kinds of on-foot spaces. And I think we succeeded in what we set out to do in the sense that, um, you get kind of like involved and you kind of soak in their experience. And then when you take off, you're busy with other things, but you're still situated in that narrative. There's uh, like layers of depth and interestingness that would have been hard to have achieved 
in another in another way. Um, but yeah, Andy, how has it been to um, tackle two such like intentionally contrasting audio spaces? Uh, I think we did it in specific ways. I didn't have a grand vision for that. I had a grand vision of a dichotomy, but not that one in particular. So, but we did focus very specifically on, uh, for example, ground control and what would that music be. And part of that was not scoring narratively and more scoring feeling. Like, what is this place for these people? And it was this thoughts of it, comfort and womb, womb light, uh, womb like energy. And so it was like, okay, well, let's, what, what's that like with music? Uh, how do we express that with music? Um, and that is obviously stands in stark contrast to where we were doing big orchestral epic things to reflect those moments. Uh, so yeah, the dichotomy that I actually did start out with and the lines blurred a little was that the epic orchestral music was the sound of essentially the adventure and the adventurers uh, and they're reflecting their culture and home planet and all that. And the more synthetic and synth driven uh, and abstract music was a reflection of, well, this is what the planet sounds like. This is its voice. And the more imposing and the more it's taking over the story and the world that the players are in and the smaller they feel, the more that has a dominant presence. And a lot of that is obviously still there. Uh, but we do blur the lines a little in terms of, you know, it was a rule, but it was a soft rule because we could bring in strings if we really needed them for a, a certain moment. Well, and we well, should maybe in the context of sound design mention that um, in that Jet Squad era, to sort of bring on extra muscle, we were able to connect with a shell in the pit, which is like a audio vendor up in Vancouver to, you know, deliver on the vision of both and certainly like on foot the Foley and the different ways that we try to position you in that intimate space. Uh, a lot of heavy lifting came from that direction. And, and, and certainly the, the, the contrast of both of those things, I, it, uh, you know, I, I am so thrilled and, and engrossed by the moments when I am just skirting along the ocean shore or, you know, along solid ground within the jet. But when you're in those, those moments where you are in first person and learning about this world, there is, um, this uh mystery and and uh almost scared nature i have because i know how much larger the world is around you and and the the game in in all facets visually uh orally and uh just kind of all across the board really creates that dichotomy and and everything else you know about that adventure uh so well uh so i really really appreciate you both taking the time to speak with me today i could probably continue to talk to you uh, about this game for for forever but i don't don't want to keep you too long so so thank you so much uh craig and andy for taking the time jet the far shore is is currently available on playstation and pc uh, i can't recommend checking out this game enough it's, it's one of the most unique sort of engrossing experiences i've had in a game in some time so so thank you both so much really appreciate it Cheers. you're welcome Thanks, and thank you and we're back. Thank you so much, as always, Jonathan, for your insightful questions. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, do you just want to do a quick memory card story? Memory card, of course, is our weekly segment where you, the viewers and listeners at home, write in with your sad, weird, happy, wacky, whatever memories of your PlayStation and gaming life. Uh, and we read those on the show. You can write in to beyond at IGN.com. 
with the subject line memory card and we'll read them like this one from Nelson who wrote in and said, hi guys, uh, I bring you back to 1999 on the release of Final Fantasy VIII. I was so excited after finishing FF7 with all the summons and countless hours with all my friends coming over after school to finish it. I could hardly wait to play Final Fantasy VIII as I traded some games at a local video game store to get it. Uh, Me and my friend started our journey that day with FF8, and after a few days off from school of playing on my own and playing countless hours alone, I made it all the way to disc three. One of my friends came over and stated I missed too many items and that I should just start over on a separate file. How does he, how does that friend know? Uh, Anyway, after much deliberation, I decided to start a new file as I wanted to do so and hesitated. Uh, So my friend pressed the button and deleted my disc three file. Oh. I froze in shock. I was so upset and tried to play the game over, but could not get over what had just happened. I haven't seen that friend for a while once we graduated <laughs> high school, but I will never forget that moment. Uh, since then, I still have not finished FF8 and can't wait for the remastered edition to be released to start that game over. Good news. The remastered edition, I think, is out. I think you yep. can play the remastered version. I don't know if they'll ever do a proper remake, but uh, you do have a remastered version on PlayStation to play. Uh, thanks for what you guys do. Love listening to Beyond every week. Sincerely, Nelson Beyond. Uh, and that is brutal. I am sorry. Oh Nelson. my god! There, di- there were, I think, four discs. There, there were, there were at least know. three discs. Obviously, yeah. uh, but my condolences to your save and to, to everyone out there who has who has faced lost saves, uh, malicious or otherwise. That is I, absolutely a nightmare. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm mad at him for for obviously you know getting him to delete the save. But also, I'm mad at him for suggesting that he needs to go back and play <laughs> the game from the beginning just because he missed a bunch of items. What, like, what items on. could they have been? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, yeah, yeah. I, please tell us the specific list. No, uh, that yeah, that feels like someone read a strategy guide and was like, "No, you're not playing the right way." But that right. is unfortunate. Uh, I mean, and, back. Sorry. I, no, no. Like, go ahead. Like back in the day, right? We be pre-internet or early internet. It was so hard to to tell about items that you might have missed, right? Like you could have been like, I heard there's a secret item that give you unlimited health and damage if you find it, you know. But you got to collect like three items before then, you know. And there was like lies about that kind of stuff everywhere. So I get it. I I get it. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely a. a a specific problem of that era when mm-hmm. the internet was just becoming a thing, but not enough of a thing that unless you had a paper strategy guide, you didn't know your way around and exactly. urban legends happened quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have a, a memory card story or just a story in general of your PlayStation life, again, write into beyond at IGN.com, please with the subject line memory card so I can find them easily for the show uh, and we'll read them each week. But that is pretty much going to wrap us up for this week's episode of beyond uh, before we go, Mitchell, uh, anything else other than, uh, your recent review that you want to point people towards that you've been working on um and if not that's fine no i think i think that's it watch the the demon slayer review uh i did not i did not write it but i narrated it and i edited it and i think it turned out really well so i'm given the the constraints that we had with the embargoes there was uh i'm not going to get into it but I want to. <laughs> I, I appreciate your professionalism. Uh, and Matt, anything else on your end other than, of course, the Final Fantasy fourteen preview coverage? No, I think that's it. That's it for me for PlayStation stuff uh, cool. this week. So definitely check that out. Fair it's enough. Cool. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, as, as again, I've been pointing to people for the last couple of weeks, but I will just say again, uh, thank you also to everyone for the amazing reception, but go check out our art of the level on the last of us part two, uh, rat King boss fight. If you haven't checked it out already, uh, but that's going to wrap us up otherwise for this episode. Uh, thank you, Mitchell and Matt so much for joining me for this week. You can find us all on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush. Mitchell's at Jurassic rabbit and Matt is at law of TD. Uh, and thank you so much to red, our producer for making the show happen. And for all of his incredible suggestions for our playstation all-stars battle royale 2 roster uh and of course thank you to everyone else out there listening and watching uh we thank you for your support we hope you're safe we hope you're well and as always beyond 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 Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.